Manitobans went to the poll in the municipal elections yesterday, capping off a busy few weeks across the country where voters in Ontario and BC did the same. There are new mayors in cities such as Vancouver, Surrey, Victoria, Ottawa, Hamilton, and Winnipeg, where Scott Gillingham beat out Glenn Murray, who was attempting a comeback after serving as the Winnipeg mayor from 1998 to 2004. The two-term councillor beat out 10 other candidates in total, replacing Brian Bowman, who did not seek re-election. Now, this isn't to take anything away from any of the victors, but we've seen this in municipalities uh, right across the country. You know who won just about every race in every one of them? Something that wasn't on the ballot. None of the above. That's because voter turnout was down almost across the board. In Winnipeg, it was 37%, at least preliminary, down from 42% last time around. And that was a good showing. Across BC, average turnout was 29.2%, down more than 7% from 2018. Just 36% in Vancouver, 37% in Victoria. In Toronto, it was about 29%, 22% in Mississauga. Ottawa looks impressive, but it was still just 44% there. So what is going on here? We've had years of campaigns encouraging people to go out and vote. Advanced voting has never been more popular or easier, really. Are we disengaged, disillusioned, or is it a sign of good things? Do we think that most everything is okay? So why bother? Are there too many candidates? Are there, is there not enough local coverage because so much local news has disappeared over the years? Joining me with more on this now is Leah Levesque. She's an associate professor of political science at the University of Guelph. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, Ben. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, you know, I was looking at uh, the Manitoba municipal elections last night, really just to figure out what the voter turnout was going to be like, because it had been low just about everywhere else, and Manitobans followed the same trend. Uh, what do you think is going on? Uh, yeah, so, you know, there are a lot of explanations that feed into the conversation about why vo- voter turnout is so low. Certainly some of the uh, residents that you just featured um, from the streets of Toronto, you know, I think do echo some uh, sort of some details that we recognize as affecting people's voting behaviors. But, you know, the fact that they don't have time, the fact that there are other distractions, there are a lot of other explanations uh, that feed into um, the low voter turnout conversation. Um, so, for instance, um, you know, there is at the municipal level often a lack of representativeness of candidates. Uh, and by this, I mean that candidates, uh, you know, may not reflect the, the um, racial and gender and cultural diversity of residents. And so people don't necessarily see their interests being reflected in their voting options. Um, we also uh, sometimes talk about the problem of uh, a lack of parties, which are important cues for voters who might not have time um, to learn about all of the details of individual candidates and who might rely uh, in provincial and federal elections um, on, uh, on the party affiliation to help them uh, make decisions. Uh, I think there could also be some unique factors uh, right now that have to do, you know, with the, you know, the combination of the high rate of inflation, which is creating uh, really significant cost of living challenges for folks, combined with ongoing concerns about the pandemic and people's 
you know, safety and well-being. Um, and maybe the last thing I'll say uh, is that, you know, voting is uh, habitual behavior. And so one of the things that we really worry about is that when people don't become voters early on in their sort of voting uh, life, so once they reach um, voting age, then they are more likely to remain non-voters over the course of their lifetimes. And so, um, you know, I think this also, this is part of the problem, but also gives us some cues as to where we might look for some uh, solutions to reverse the trend. Yeah, I was noticing that in Guelph, it was 27.8%, which is pretty low. One of the things that I found, and this is just just in Victoria, I mean, I went to vote. Uh, I've been trying to follow along, but because there is less and less local news, even in a place like Victoria, mm-hmm. it's hard to follow, even as a, if you want to inform yourself, it's kind of follow, hard to follow the bouncing ball a little bit now. And, and I know that that can be, you know, maybe media wasn't always a great favor when it came to these races for how they frame them and so on. But at least it allowed you, because of the way they're balanced, at least it allowed you to find out what everyone stood for. And I find nowadays that's kind of vanished in a lot of communities. Uh, Yeah, so I think that um, this problem of lack of access to um, information about candidates is definitely, um, it's definitely an issue. And it's an issue in a couple of ways. It's an issue in the way that you describe. So if there's a lack of local coverage, um, you know, and I think lots of local media are working really hard to, you know, to do the best that they can. But nevertheless, if there's a lack of local coverage, then, uh, we, you know, people might not have access to the information that they need. The other reality is that, um, you know, access to online information of candidates via websites, et cetera, demands a particular level of, uh, you know, of online media savvy by candidates themselves, which may or may not be a realistic expectation. And it also demands that kind of um, savvy from potential voters. And so, you know, I admit also that um, as someone who is, you know, pretty invested in uh, local politics, if a candidate doesn't have a website, it makes it very, very difficult to try and understand Um, you know, what they stand for, um, what their experiences are that they're bringing to the table, uh, why I might consider um, voting for them, which, you know, creates obvious barriers, both for people who don't have regular access to um, websites or who don't have the means to create them. Yeah. Did you go? Did you vote? I did. I did. I mean, municipal election. I'm sure you did. Municipal elections, that ballot is like, you know, I remember covering an Italian election once. It was like seven pages, right? The, the, the municipal election yeah. here, I mean, there were so many candidates between, you know, see a capital regional district, city hall, um, school board. I mean, it, there was just so many names. That might be part of the problem, too, is people are just overwhelmed when they do get their ballot, when they go. Yeah, I mean, I think that is uh, that is part of the problem. And, of course, there is some research that uh, suggests to us that when people expect that their preferred candidate is not going to perform well. Now, granted, this is, um, you know, this research looks at the federal level. And so I'm doing a little bit of transference here. Um, but if they don't expect up their preferred candidate to do well, they might not be um, motivated to go out and cast uh, cast a vote. So not only can the number of candidates be overwhelming, but also um, if the pool of candidates is so uh, diffuse, 
um, that you, you know, that you don't see a lot of hope for the candidate that you uh, are supporting, then that could also be um, discouraging. And of course, um, you know, it's worth mentioning that uh, we we know that in countries that offer proportional representation voting systems, voter turnout is generally higher. And so even though there's not a lot of good evidence to necessarily suggest what happens when a system changes from what we currently have, which is first past the post, to proportional representation, it's reasonable to think that if we were in a voting system where your vote was more likely to count towards the candidate or candidates you preferred, then that, you know, might make a difference to voter turnout. What could some of the solutions be? Because it feels like voting has never been easier. I mean, at least here in Victoria, the advanced polls were open early. People could go whenever they wanted. Um, would technology make it more convenient? Would it, if we voted, could vote more at home online? Would that help? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, so... Think that the, I think that we have to make continue to think about removing barriers to participation. So certainly there are some municipalities here in Ontario that do um, online voting that also can you know run into challenges if your information is entered incorrectly into the computer system. Then you run into uh, barriers when you try to vote. There's a number that you can call to get that um, problem alleviated. Um, but if you, uh, you know, but if you run into a problem and give up trying, well, then there's a lost vote. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think there's an obvious, um, I don't think there's an obvious correlation between, for instance, online voting and increased voter rates, but uh, at least not that I'm um, aware of. But I do think that uh, regardless, part of the answer is absolutely to think through what are the most likely um, barriers that people face to participation or what are any of the barriers that people face to participation and then how do we make sure that voting is as easy as possible, um, particularly um, because some folks who would be excluded from voting might particularly be folks who would also be marginalized in other ways in communities uh, and you know and I think it is, uh, it is um, you know, we are, we, we need to really emphasize um, making sure that, uh, that all uh, residents, even those who are often excluded, um, have access to voting. So that's definitely, um, you know, one piece that is necessary. Another fewer candidates? that happens. Maybe fewer candidates, would that help? It might, uh, but it's hard to say how exactly you would, um, you know, how exactly you would implement uh, a requirement like that. Of course, you could create higher barriers to entry um, into uh, into the election process, but then that creates different kinds of uh, issues. So, you know, for instance, there are high financial barriers to entry at other levels of politics, and uh, there are also financial barriers at the local level. Um, you know, but we don't want to tie um, political representation. I don't think that we want to tie political representation um, to those kinds of uh, barriers to entry. Um, you know, back to an earlier comment that I made, some of that would be dealt with with um, proportional representation systems where you would be less worried about 
uh, potentially the number of candidates because you would know that your preferences would get sort of um, accumulated uh, towards um, towards making sure that one person elected, there are different kinds of systems, but, you know, the general idea is that the person who is elected would ultimately have accrued over 50% uh, of the vote, which is not um, necessarily the case right now. There are other things uh, that have to do with, um, you know, civic literacy and building, um, uh, building better education pipelines, um, and even discussions about things like lowering the voting age um, to, as a way right. of building voting habit uh, at a time when young people are still uh, most, for the most part, this is obviously not um, universally true, but for the most part, uh, when younger people are still engaged in some sort of, you know, educational institution where you might have sort of more of an audience to inspire voting early on which then could feed to um, sort of this habitual uh, voting behavior um, there we go. as people we'll to, get older. Well, we'll have to leave it at that, Leah. Thank you so much for your time tonight. It is a, a million-dollar question, of course. How do you get people interested in municipal politics? Because they matter. They do matter. Thanks so much for your time tonight. They matter a lot. Thank you very much, Ben. Have a nice night.